Willing Argentine football around our mouths with just enough alcohol to make it palatable. Welcome to Hamlet Pod. Internet's finest, longest-running, and indeed only English-language Argentine football podcast. I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined tonight by Peter Coates. Hello. And Andres Bruckner. Hello. Uh, and I want you both to know that I've turned down a dinner in the Casa Rosada tonight to be here recording this podcast because of the Davis Cup tie that's starting tomorrow. It's the official opening dinner tonight, and I'm not there. Uh, so I hope you feel suitably chastened. Be on your best behaviour, please. Uh, before we get started, we have a word from our sponsors. Our sponsors are the Argentina Independent, who are an excellent English-language source of news from across Argentina and indeed Latin America. They are the people who are responsible for getting us drunk whilst we record this year. So please, go and visit them. You can read them free of charge at argentinaindependent.com. And with that, on to the football as uh, it's becoming traditional in this 2015 where we have loads and loads and loads of matches every single weekend, I'm just going to whip through very quickly the results from last weekend before we do anything else. And we have had the... It was a third round, wasn't it? Fourth round is coming up. Good. The third round of the championship went as follows. Arsenal de Sarandí and Nueva Chicago drew 1-1 on Friday. Godoy Cruz beat Huracán 2-1 also on Friday. Uh, Tigre on Saturday beat Olimpo 1-0 Crucero del Norte lost at home to Rosario Central also 1-0 Union and Lanús drew 1-1 in Santa Fe Quilmes uh, lost to Independiente 2-1 at home San Lorenzo surprisingly also lost 2-1 at home to San Martín de San Juan uh, who therefore took the uh, Clásico de los Santos which is not actually a thing uh, Gimnasia lost an actual Clásico at home, also scoring one goal, uh, but conceding three to Estudiantes in the Clásico Platense. Boca Juniors, moving on to Sunday now, because that match, the uh, La Plata derby, was indeed on Sunday, and Boca Juniors versus Atletico de Rafaela was as well. That finished 1-0. Argentinos Juniors beat Defensi Justicia 1-0. Racing Club beat Temperley 2-1. And in the only match of... Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't the only match of Sunday, because Estudiantes... Uh, one away as well. In another away win on Sunday, Belgrano lost 2-1 at home to River Plate. We have three games on Monday and those were all draws. Sarmiento 2, Aldo Civi 2, Banfield 0, Colón 0 and Newell's Old Boys 0. Benes Sarsfield 0. I think, however, that the thing we're going to get started with, uh, rather than football, is something that happened in the Primera C, which is the 5th Division. Of Argent- uh, hang on, 5th Division? 4th Division. Fourth, the fourth tier uh, of Argentine football and I think that Peter and Andres already know what I'm talking about in spite of the fact that we never planned these things in advance and I've just jumped it on them um, because there was one match which didn't finish no it, it didn't was finish. abandoned after the 73 minutes 
so you were paying more attention than I was, Peter, well done. Um, which was abandoned after 73 minutes due to uh, crowd unrest, and which then degenerated very quickly into a Bakasha uh, Kampal, was the way that the television people uh, presented it, basically a running battle in the streets between the La Ferrer uh, Barra Brava and the police. Uh, this included La Ferrer's Barra Brava stole a car battery, clue on that stuff. Uh, also stole a police rifle and started shooting at police with it. There were 14 police injured, two of them seriously. Um, yet another dark day in the history of Argentine football. And the not even anybody to do with the football. The governor of Buenos Aires province, Daniel Ischioli, uh, has announced that La Ferrera are not going to be playing any more matches with fans at home for the rest of the year, I think. Yeah? Yes, for the rest of the year. So... What can we say about that, apart from what bloody idiots? Well, I think we said this a lot of times, and we will continue saying it, and I heard journalists saying this when, for example, uh, Alfaro was hit by something in, the, in his head in the um, Arsenal against Tigre, no, Rosario Central against Tigre match, uh, saying that, well, show must go on, and, and, and the, the solution to the problem is always the same, to, to ban a stadium, a stadium or to uh, allow, not allow people to get into the matches, which is, of course, nothing to do with the re reality, which is uh, Barra Bravas or, or, or uh, just stealing a, co a, a, a gun from a, from a cop, from a, sorry, from a cop and shooting him. So, it's, well, I, I don't know, I am not, a, a, for example, I'm not a, something, someone who works for an, an organization, for example, Sabemos al Football or something like that. Yeah, funny you should mention Sabemos al Football because I was hoping to uh, get the uh, vice president, I think it is, of Sabemos al Football on with us today, uh, but he's only just got back from a bit of a trip around Europe. Um, and also tells me that he's slightly nervous about his English. Uh, so I'm hoping to talk him into coming on a little more gently when he's got a bit more time and isn't quite so jet-lagged in the future. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, but yes, it would be really good to have an actual expert on this stuff. Um, the fact is that football must be saved. Is uh, the, the, the name of the organization will be, will be uh, let's save football and mm -hmm. we need to save it or, or, or the people that is in charge of saving it must do it because uh, it's all, all the same and we will repeat uh, violence is is something that is, is not uh, gone because Barabravas of anything can do this yeah? and, and it's Barabravas means people that can do that in the stadium or outside that's why a, a, a suspending or banning a, a stadium is not a, the the, the key it's not a solution to the to the real problem which is the people that uh, are eager for money and and they do whatever they can in order to to, to gain that money so yeah i was um there was an article in, in the, uh, la nacion today which is a very conservative newspaper and it's very anti-government as well and that's worth bearing in mind uh, when i outline what the article said but it was it was an interesting uh, rundown of some of, or, or rather, no, okay, 
what the article said in this case was, was factual enough, but it was notable they didn't bother pointing the finger at certain other people as well in, in other cases. Um, but of how La Ferreira's Barra Brava uh, are involved in the running of the um, partido, the, the district, uh, the political district that, that uh, La Ferreira are from, that they own various private taxi companies which are unlicensed. They run the main minibuses from here in the Buenos Aires city centre out to La Matanza. Um, they've got a lot of money and, and they um, apparently were one of the main batteries behind the Inchadas Unidas Argentinas, which was, is the vaguely ridiculous uh, United Barra Brava that goes to the World Cups on the AFA's payroll um, to support the team since 20, well, certainly in 2010, it was disbanded for last year's World Cup. Um, so, although it's a tiny club, this, this isn't a small event that we're talking about. And in this case, the reason that La Nación ran this article was that they're uh, the La Ferreira Barra Brava in, in the pay of one of the government's uh, sympathetic local politicians, but of course there are other Barra Bravas who are equally in the pay of the kind of people that La Nación like to hold up as good and wonderful people, such as Mauricio Macri, the mayor of Buenos Aires, uh, and, and so forth. So, and what did, sorry, what did Aníbal Fernández say? Aníbal Fernández said that uh, it's 15 or 20 people, which is a good thing in a way, because when Rivers Barra... Uh, tore the stadium up after River got relegated. It was 300, according to Andy Buffalander. So they managed to eradicate 285 Barra apparently, from each club. Um, he said that, and he said that uh, the rest of the uh, football shouldn't be punished for it or something well, like he, that. And he also said it's uh, something along the lines of it's, oh, it's vital that we now get AFA Plus Yes, um, he's been, he's been, he was pushing out for plus already before that, and um, apparently this is a sign that it's a, it's absolutely yeah. a must. But, and Alpha Plus is not working because uh, the the ones that wanted to put that into practice haven't paid the the, the, the enterprise or the company that uh, was uh, going to. Uh, in, was in charge of that of data of Alpha Plus is not working because it was a system that was just designed for the AFA to give money to their friends and make some money out of it themselves anyway rather than to actually keep people out uh, and eventually the cost analysis became useless and after spending hundreds of millions of pesos on it in other words having given loads of people the money that they, they wanted to share out among their friends and they realised that it wasn't going to work and so but, they shelved it but again uh, AFA Plus even working perfectly would make Barbaras not to get into the stadiums which would be good but they will go outside the stadium and uh, uh, crash a, a, a car's uh, a glass or, or, or will uh, rub uh, into a shop or will do anything because they, not, they are not common yeah. supporters or... And these, these people run the, the parking around the stadiums and so on as well. It's not like they're going to need to go into the match in order to have the stranglehold on that rather lucrative and, business. And, and it's also well. even... Supposing that it's successful and actually manages to keep them all out of the stadium, yeah. which I think which we'll all be very sceptical The local politicians who have a big say in so many of these clubs and the way they're sponsored and so on are the ones who are also, as we say, paying the batteries. Whether they're pro government, anti government, somewhere in between, they've all got their hands in their pockets. And Fernandez is uh, the reason he's a big name is first of all that he's president of Kilves, and that's the footballing side of things covered, but also the political side. He's just been made um, Minister head of, Justice. of the. Yes, what was he before? was Minister of Justice or um, Security. And he's just replaced Kapitanich as head of the Senate or head speaker yes. or something like that. I don't pay very uh, enough attention. Uh, and now he's the Secretary of President. Thank you. 
That was the one, yes. Um, so this is not a, a small name who's just a president of a club and nothing else opining about Apple Plus. It's, it's a major player in both Argentine football and the government um, who's, who's talking about it. Uh, and now, let's try and drag this back to on-pitch matters, uh, because there was plenty of action in the Primera, the weekend just gone. We're guaranteed plenty of action every single weekend now, because there are 15 games. How many did you manage to watch, gentlemen? Uh, <laughs> I mean, with, with there being so many games, there's probably only one or two that I'll say I, I watch from the first minute to the 90th. It's only possible to watch one or two. No, exactly. And, and unless you've got two computers. And the others I have to watch in uh, in segments or just like glancing up at the screen or on my computer by streaming one at the same time as watching. So it's very, very, very uh, not just knackering. I, I think I, I watched all of the goals uh, that have been scored. I've not even seen those yet. I haven't seen any of the goals from uh, Sarmiento versus Aldo Civi because having watched already well, as much as I could, having watched 12 matches by that point, I decided to go for a pint in the early evening on Monday and I missed the one match on Monday that had any goals <laughs> and they got back in time for the other two. You missed Roger Martinez goal. It was what? It's incredible. Uh, it was Aldo Civi and Mariano had, had treated minutes, after, minutes uh, before uh, Aldo Civi scored twice. I don't know how Aldo Civi will do to make to score a goal with these strikers. Well, Roger Martinez got into the state, into the pitch and, and scored one, and then uh, gave an assistance to Sand to score the other one. So <laughs> yeah, the Sand who gave away the penalty for Sami was equalised yes. as well, wasn't it? Uh, that one finished two-two after as Andres says two goals in the space of three minutes uh, for Aldo Civi, and then threw it away just a few minutes after that. Um, the other. Really noteworthy games. I think San Lorenzo versus San Martin. I'm sure Mariano um, has ducked out of this, having realised what, what he was letting himself in for. Because Mariano originally said that he was going to be here this week, um, and then presumably remembered that San Lorenzo were the only one of the big five who didn't manage to win their match this weekend, just gone, uh, and decided to pull out with some excuse about having crashed his car. And the insurance man's coming around to check it out today or something. I've heard some spectacular excuses for not making hand pot recordings. But that one's right up there. Um, what did we think of San Lorenzo versus San Martin on Saturday at half past eight in the evening? I'm really hoping one of you has seen it because I missed it. Well, uh, yeah. no, it was uh, first uh, Carlos Bueno scored against San Lorenzo, who was uh, had a standing ovation because we, we must say that uh, it was 2012 that San Lorenzo played the promotion against the Instituto and Carlos Bueno scored. Uh, and made oh, possible, for, of course, yeah, for San Lorenzo yes. to, to keep so him up. Yeah. That's why he was uh, ovation. He received an ovation, and, and what? But he scored the goal against his former club mm. for San, San Martin San Juan in this case. And then uh, Pineda Zaval, I think it is a Bolivian player that is, uh, uh, apparently plays very well, uh, served the second one to don't remember now the Marcos Figueroa. That's Marcos Figueroa. Uh, made a good play uh, and assisted uh, Figueroa to, to score the one-two. Uh, and Cheto had had uh, scored the head, a header to, to draw, draw it partially. What do we uh, think of San Lorenzo this year? Because in the opening, well, okay, in the opening weekend, maybe Colón 2-0 in that awful game in which Colón basically didn't try to cross the halfway line. And, but, but we were sort of wondering whether San Lorenzo were going to rediscover some of their domestic form. 
um, this year, having basically given up on the whole of 2014 through trying to win the Libertadores, and then once they'd done that, focusing so much on the Club World Cup, they didn't give a shit about the league then either. Um, but they suddenly look rather sort of ordinary again. Yeah, I mean, I only um, turned over once the Kilometers Independiente game was finished. And uh, I'm surprised at how, uh, how poor San Lorenzo were and how, how um, fragile they looked. I mean, once um, they'd equalised, I thought, okay, now this is, there's only going to be one win an hour, ten minutes to go. They've, they've finally managed to equalise. San Martín are, gonna, are not going to really Two minutes after they, they, they drew, it was San Lorenzo second goal. San Martín's yeah, goal. exactly. And then they just got hit straight away again. Just got very, very open. And, and by comments that I, I then was reading on Twitter, it seemed as though it was that way for the full 90. That although San Lorenzo had dominated possession and, and did create a lot of chances themselves, the whole match they were very, very weak defensively. Um, it's a shame really that, that, that Mariano couldn't make it because I've, apart from the chance to take the piss out of him but I also really wanted to ask him so I'm going to ask you guys instead um, whether that there's something in the thing that a lot of the television people not so much Fox because they're doing up the Libertadores and they're not so bothered about the local league but particularly say TV Pública Football Permitido uh, which is the Sunday night kind of round up of all of the weekend's matches even though there are still matches to be played on the Monday, but they do it on the Sunday night anyway because it's the traditional time. And they have this fantastic intro. It's actually the only bit of football that we do that's any good normally, where they'll spend the first 10 minutes showing just clips of interviews with fans as they're going into the stadium, sometimes the players, the team coaches arriving and all this kind of thing. Um, and a bunch of the San Lorenzo fans who they've shown every week so far this season have been saying, uh, Edgardo Balsa, thanks very much for the Libertadores last year, but it's time to go now. Come on, let's, let's start actually trying to go out and play a little more expansively um, I would of course have liked to ask Andre, uh, Andres sorry not Andres Mariano uh, what he thinks of that as a San Lorenzo fan himself but do we as non-San Lorenzo fans and trying to put our neutral hats on here um, feel that uh, that maybe Bowser's time is up or does the copper should that give him another chance really because if they're going to go strong in this copper as well he is a knockout specialist first of all, first of all I think that Take, taking 100 or 1200 or, or all the, the, the crowd that are in the stadium and take that opinion seriously is for me a mistake because we have to remember Boca supporters all the stadium asking for Carlo Bianchi when Falcioni was the, the, the coach at 2011-2012 and they asked well, Falcioni was the manager by the way who took Boca to one of the longest unbeaten runs yes. in their history uh, regardless of what was, there's yeah. no denying it. Some truly horrible football. So, so we have that uh, there. We, we have an example of people, a lot of people asking for a, a coach that they want more than than the, the one that is in charge. Mm. Uh, and, and results are well. We have already talked about the results of Carlo Bianchi in charge of of the coach of uh, being the coach of Boca. And uh, independent supporters don't like Almirón, and they are he's doing a great job. And Diego Boca wasn't in, in good for, for Russian supporters, finally got the championship, became champion. So we have to be careful with the uh, supporters when they, and when they are going out from the stadium, when they had lost the match, got 
logically they are they are not uh, happy. Mm. They are losing against a, a, a team that has, has already has uh, uh, got the promotion recently, and, and it's not good, of course. But uh, uh, taking the supporters as the as the main or uh, the ones that uh, have the, the the right opinion, well, for me it's not it's not the uh, right. Yeah. Pizza. Independiente fellas, uh, Andres had just mentioned on Miron. Are you feeling happier about it this week, having got the win against Kilmes? No, I mean, no, I said last week. Yeah, I advised you to stick the boots in last week, and you gentlemanly refused to do no, so. Okay, so. Okay, like I said last week, I, I'm not someone who is calling for him to be sacked as soon as we have a draw against the new United side. Um, I think there's certainly work to be done with the side and I think we saw that again against Gilman there's some some very good moments and then some very sort of disjointed parts of the game when it was obvious that the team was still finding its feet I think that's that's the case and it, and it will be the case I would have thought for, for some weeks to come um, I think Independiente have got some individuals um, who can who can win the matches which is what happened against the against Gilman and Quaisha and Albert Dengar being the, the two real game win, match winners for Independiente, scoring both goals. And um, first goal was long shot, uh, long distance shot was magnificent. But oh, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah. I saw it. That but the play, goal. the play that finished with the score of the, the with Albert Dengar scoring the second one was just perfect. The was this the? I've not seen this one, but I've heard that there was one that was. 20 odd passes or something, was that it? Or? No, that was actually the build up to Manquesha's. Manquesha's came from the, right from the back and was knocked around in midfield. And this shows how much attention I was paying because Manquesha scored his goal just before I left the flat to go right. out for dinner. So. No, because the thing is, when they sh- obviously with it being from 25 yards, or the replay was just really the, the shot and oh, it's a, it's a goal out, so look at the, mm. how the distance and whatever, but it was actually about 10 minutes after the you know, when they were showing the replay in a bit more detail, when they showed the passing move and they had to speed it up because the amount of passes in preparation for Maguire to have the opening to take the shot. Um, and then it sort of was a nice contrast to the goal that um, Andres was just describing because Albertengos was the complete opposite in terms of just a, a sweeping counter-attack yes. yeah. with just a, f- a few passes and then they were up the other end and... Albert Tango was, was happy. Yeah, the there was that, that doesn't want, uh, that don't want, uh, will say that they were a counter-attack and they don't, want, they don't like to play like that. Uh, but it was a perfect counter-attack and you have to, to see it. The other thing is with, with those accusations of, uh, you know, they're playing on the counter. I, I think if there was one thing that you can't accuse Independiente of being, it's overly defensive. <laughs> because... We took the piss out of them throughout the Donnell de Transition for it, and they made it very easy for us to do so in spite of the fact that they finished fourth because they did concede absolutely loads of goals. And they've continued to do so so far this year. They've still yet to keep a clean sheet after three matches. Um, okay, they've won two and drawn one. It's not as if the results have been bad, and they've conceded, I think it's one goal in each of their matches, so it's not like they're letting yeah, in four two or five. Meals. Of course, yeah, they won three two, and then since then they've uh, drawn one one and uh, won two one. Um, so it's not like they're letting in, you know, sort of winning every game four three like they were doing it for about a four, five month, yeah. uh, five match spell in the middle of the Torneo de Transición at one point. Um, but it, 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 as Peter says, really, they're, they're good side, but not yet the finished object. I think is fair. No, but I mean, I, I, 
I think the, t- the test for Almiron is going to be the progression of the side because I said at the start of the season that he's been given a lot of money and brought in a lot of players and I think now it's going to be okay well, well you have some time to bed those players in but at some point you need to settle upon a formation a starting 11 and, and I, I know, a sort of system of playing I know as well sorry to interrupt but that's, um, there's another combination of centre-backs here as well Having asked you what you thought in the first week about Figal and uh, Cuesta playing a centre-back together, this week we've had Emmanuel Aguilera and Cuesta. Yeah, and I think actually this partnership is... I think, Agu- I think Aguilera was suspended in the opening game. Yeah, Aguilera's the number six, so I'm assuming that he's first choice. His suspension from the transition ran over, so we yeah. couldn't play against Niels, and I think then Amron was forced into a change and kept that. Um, but I, I, I think this would probably be the first first choice pairing that mm. they're now playing. So I think the, the main thing which needs to really click for me was um, the front two, because Albertengo, when he was up front on his own, looked slightly isolated at times when they tried to do that. And it seems to be well still. Though. He's oh, yeah, that's it, two and three, three matches, not three, two, because he got two in against mm. Niels. Um, but they need, at the moment, the partnership with Valencia, which they, which they tried against Kilmes, um, didn't look like a partnership really. It was just two good footballers yeah. playing. Valencia hasn't fitted into the side at all yet, so um, that'll be something to watch. I think once the side settles in, he should do, because he's a decent player. I think more for a weight match is possibly than at home. And, and one thing on that note was Albertengo's comment uh, in a, an interview with Ole the other day, saying uh, the, the fans are shouting when I score. You know, they're, they're cheering my goals, which made me laugh a bit because he scored three goals so far and all of them have been away from home, where, of course, Independiente don't have any fans at the match because there are no away fans in Argentina. But that's a minor point of semantics from an enormous pedant such as myself. <laughs> um, moving on to the other members of the Big Five, we'll take them in the order they played. Boca Juniors beat Atletico Rafaela 1-0. Thoroughly deserved win. Could have been by more, I thought. Should have been by uh, more. Rafaela... Atletico, sorry, uh, had their chances early in the second, uh, sorry, early in the first half, particularly in the opening 20 minutes, they could have taken the lead and it might have been a very different match. But after that, I thought Boca sort of just closed them out in precisely the way that you expect them to in La Bombonera, really. Not spectacular to watch, but just very effective and, and calm enough. No? What I heard is that uh, in the second half, Boca knew they would win the match. So they played like being putting a, 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 a fit in the, in the breaks and, and not doing a lot of effort because they, they of course they have to play Copa Libertadores too and although they have a, two complete teams perhaps today is the, I think the best team in terms of players of amount and quality of players and uh, they bought a very, a very good goalkeeper which is which was key as you said Adrico Rafaela had a pair of opportunities in the first half that uh, could have been, uh, if Tripoli was the goal, would have been the goalkeeper, perfect, it could have been. Uh, and the reason that you mentioned that, sorry, Andres, was of course that Agustin Oriol was suspended, suspended after a frankly stupid headbutt that I can't remember whether we mentioned last week or not. Uh, and so Guillermo Sara, the former Atletico Rafaela goalkeeper, was keeping goal against Atletico Rafaela. Um, and ended up, as Andres rightly says, being possibly decisive in the outcome. Uh, another point about Boca is that they have played 
two matches since we last recorded because last week they played in the Copa Libertadores and I'm sure that all of our listeners are absolutely dying to know how Daniel Osvaldo got on on his <laughs> debut and it is with great pleasure and you can hear the pleasure in my voice um, in the time formula he scored the winning goal on his debut they beat Montevideo Wanderers 1-0 in La Bombonera last week uh, so well done them and well done Daniel Osvaldo that was 2-1 wasn't it? it was 2-1 sorry yeah. yes did I say 1-0? Yeah. I meant to say 2-1 um, and well done Daniel Osvaldo a man who it was revealed by the Fox Sports commentators ahead of the kickoff of that match uh, wears glasses off the pitch purely for the look yeah, I think we all need that looking at it. Boca, apart, apart from playing well, he, they are having the luck they had lost because uh, Guillermo Burdizo uh, had to leave the, the match injured and the, the one who replaced him, which is, who is Juan Cruz Comar, scored the goal. Uh, the, the ball bounced in his head and, the, and then it was introduced into the Montevideo Wanderers. Uh, the comment of a true, true River fan. Yes. <laughs> the other thing I might just point out is that it's not been all lucky for Boca uh, because we have mocked Boca quite relentlessly over the last two years for the number of training ground injuries that they've been picking up. Um, and having started 2015 with only one player injured, which by Boca's standards is a minor miracle, uh, they've now got about six players out, all, most of them, with training ground injuries. Fernando Gago is not one of them, although he did take yesterday off track. I mean, sorry, had gastroenteritis. Um, which meant that he was forced to go home against and the But there are also, they've got uh, Andres Cubas injured at the moment, they've got uh, Bordiso, and they've got about four or five others all out for this weekend. Um, well, and Rolin is, I think he's, he's, he now is in conditions to to train normally, but he will. But he's, he's not playing still. When he, when he was brought by Boca, brought by Boca, he was already injured. And then oh, he'd had something like four injury layoffs in the last six months before they signed him. It was the most the ridiculous last thing ever that we in the world. Someone with that injury record should be going to his pocket. Yeah, right? because we, we asked this last year, and in fact, it, almost as if they'd been listening to Hand Pod last year, the directors announced they were going to relay the training round at the end of last year. And yet the, the injuries keep coming. It's, it's really bizarre. And they're all, you know, thigh and calf, they're all muscular injuries, which I'm reliably informed by people who play a lot more than I do. Um, is a decent indicator that the surface of the training ground is, is at least partly to blame. Uh, but there we are, Boca Juniors have beaten Atletico de Rafaela 1 0 and Montevideo Wanderers 2 1 since we last recorded. So well done there. I didn't mention that. Um, Daniel Sando News is a saucy party. <laughs> We're not given to gossip on Hand of Peter, but uh, if you really must, <laughs> no, then, uh, no, no, you no, can no. bring your girlfriend into well, that. Well, that is. That is, not confirmed. that is not confirmed, though some internet sites related to... to he was to present at the Boca Juniors team hotel when members of the Boca Juniors team, who may or may not have included Danny Osvaldo himself, uh, brought a young lady back to the team hotel. And this uh, caused a lot of consternation among the media, who quite rightly uh, are, are, are fearful of... Danny Osvaldo's girlfriend, you know, and her feelings and stuff. They, they just want her to feel valued. And she made very clear that she does feel valued. The Fox Sports were cutting to her relentlessly during the bloody yeah. match in Diego Maradona's box because she's a good friend of Maradona's daughter. Uh, and then again on Teve Publica for the Anna um, Rafaela match, during which, thankfully, Osvaldo didn't score, which meant that we weren't treated to another picture of her celebrating. Um, <laughs> 
listeners might be able to divine uh, from my tone of voice my attitude towards such tittle-tattle. Um, and as such, we shall move on to Racing, who beat Tempele 2-1 with goals from Marcos Acuna and another one, yet another one, from Gustavo Bull, who scored a hat-trick after we recorded last week in the Copa Libertadores as well, meaning that after two Copa Libertadores matches, he has already outscored the joint top goal scorers of last year's Copa Libertadores. He's got six goals. I think I mentioned that last week, actually. Yes, we mentioned because they played on Tuesday. They played on Tuesday last week, didn't they? So I apologise for repeating myself. But he's got yet another one. Um, Racing were 2-0 up after 17 minutes. Tempele came back into it with a goal from a gentleman whose surname I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Gerbeck. Gerbeck is, or something like that. Okay. (laughs) It's spelled G-R-B-E-C. And that's not a typo on the page I'm reading because it's spelled that way everywhere. Um, he got the goal with 19 minutes to go the consolation for Tempoli Racing have finally got their first domestic win but they're clearly concentrating on the copper yeah. they're doing alright in that they're smashed yeah, yeah, two not very good teams it must be said but they are 16 in the standings which will mean in a normal tournament that they will be near the bottom but in this case but in a normal championship they wouldn't have just played Tempoli yes and you know it's all very ridiculous. Um, and then on Sunday, of course, we had the big derby match on Sunday night. Um, the big derby? No, sorry, that's not quite what I wanted to say. The big grunge match. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, between Belgrano de Cordoba and River Plate, I was asked on Twitter before kickoff, why is it a grunge match? And the obvious answer, of course, but if you're new uh, to Argentine football, then it's not so obvious. Is that in 2011, River Plate were relegated for the first time in their history, and it was Belgrano who sent them down. Um, in a promotion relegation playoff. Since then, I think River have actually basically made a habit of thrashing Belgrano like a red-headed stepchild, as some of our Americans. And some of the players actually um, playing for Belgrano are uh, wearing that match in the that they playoff. They never fucking shut up yes. about it. But Andres, the River fan, has, has reminded us of that fact. Sorry, Andres, I wasn't trying to tell you to shut up. Um, River one two one. On the one hand, Belgrano could have snatched a point. On the other hand, in other ways, River could have won more than 2-1, I thought. Um, it was sort of one of those games. R- River still haven't really discovered, rediscovered themselves for last year, but I think they, they found something uh, in this match in particular uh, which they've been lacking until now, which is just that little bit of character and sort of... the the determination again rather than the, the smooth play that we were praising them so much for um, I'm not going to ask Andres because he's the, the supporter but Peter I don't know whether you would agree with that or not I, I didn't catch uh, much of this match so unable to base that I am going to ask Andres in that game. case Andres as a fan how happy were you with River's performance on Saturday night well uh, there, there was a match that uh, River ha- had to play like they played with personality because uh, they had, uh, first of all, Belgrano is a tough team, good team, with hard players in a, in, in a pitch that was heavy because had had rained before the match had rained a lot in Cordoba, and yeah, uh, flooding, wasn't that? yes, yeah. and, and and they had they had players that not they are not precisely the founders of fair play like for example Sergio Cudero, Claudio Perez, and. Uh, Juan Carlos Olave, the goalkeeper. Uh, so River had to play with personality, and they did it. And t- uh, talking about the ta- uh, tactical and the, and the game itself, 
the, the first goal was, uh, well, both goals scored by Mora, but the first one, I think it was at uh, 35 minutes of second half. Uh, and uh, the, the center uh, was... But they were, sorry to interrupt, they, they were uh, the 76th minute and the 81st minute. Uh, so two and five minutes, the second one coming uh -huh. roughly 36 minutes into the second half. Well, uh, and, and uh, the, the center for the for the first goal was scored was was shot by by Mercado, one of the center uh, right backs, the right back, and uh, then the, it was deflected by Pangioni, the yeah. left back. So that shows you how River was playing. They were looking for the for the match. And that's one the, that's one aspect of their their play rather than just the attitude that I think they maybe did uh, get back to was just the attacking in numbers um, when they were able to get forward, uh, which they did a fair bit in the second half, it has to be said. One name that I did want to mention from Belgrano, however, is Lucas Celarachan, because I remarked on this on Twitter a um, week and a bit ago um, when he scored a magnificent goal and just generally put in a, a man-of-the-match performance. We mentioned him a couple of times, I think, on Hand Pot during the Tournament de Transition, Four or five months ago, I would have assumed that Sedar Rashan, in the middle of this year or the start of next year, would have been off to one of the big five. And now I'm wondering whether he's going to go to one of the big five or whether he's going to be picked up by a European club first because he looks really good and did again. There was one point, I think, just after River had scored the first goal, but I might be misremembering, um, where he had a run that took him through about four or five players before a shot that went, I mean, out the stadium. It was awful, but... That, that run uh, was fantastic and it was just one of a number of eye-catching things that he did in that match as well he's continuing to develop really well uh, and he's been given the number 10 shirt at, at, at Belgrano which okay it's not quite the number 10 shirt at Boca or at River but it's still something of uh, a mark yes. of how quickly he's come and, and we, sorry, we, we have to recall for example uh, that Franco Vasquez who is at Palermo mm -hmm. and Ibarra who is also at Palermo Played uh, our former players from Frank Vázquez Belgrano and the Valle Instituto, both from Cordoba. And they both signed directly. And they went directly, yes. To so scouts are watching them. Um, I also think that the big five, or, or some of the big five, have certainly tried to sign him already. And I think the fact that. Well, I know that he was heavily linked with moves in the previous window. It shows you how much attention I pay to transfer. Well, like, yeah, no, I mean, they're just rumours, I'm not suggesting that I'm... Independiente, so... On, yeah. See, I was just about to ask which of the current big five do we think Celarachan would be most suited to, and I'm tempted to say San Lorenzo. I think with their current setup and the fact that they, they do tend to sit deep and try and counter, he'd be perfect for them, but obviously... But he, is he a really Nanche, number 10? No, he's not. Uh, but he's a fantastic attacking player, yeah. all the same. And if you, if you want somebody who's going to have... A, an influence on the counter attack and he's got that pace and the ability to go past players I think that would be really useful for San Lorenzo particularly in fact he did a very good play uh, going through I think two or three uh, midfielders of River but well uh, finally the play didn't finish uh, with uh, something near to a goal but uh, mm. uh, he, that there he found he, show, he showed something of, of his ability yeah I think him, st him still being Belgrano is maybe an indication that they are aware of what you were just saying yeah. and they're probably thinking well we'll give him the number 10 shirt make him the, the centre point of our team 
and hang on to him for as long as possible before the team from Europe comes in with a lot more money than anyone in Argentina will be able to. Yeah, if, if you're a, either an armchair scout or a football manager player, uh, the surname is spelled Z-E-L-A-R-A-Y-A-N and it's pronounced in Argentine Spanish, Celarachan. But it's one R only, not two. It is one R, but a lot, of the, a lot of the media write it with two R's, but he, on his own Twitter account, has got it with one R. So I'm going with that, personally. Because with that one R, it would, should be pronounced Celarachan, not Russian. But, well, if it is... No, it's, it's got the accent on the, uh, on the, on the last day. Yes. Celarachan. Yes, but with... Oh, go on. One only, only one R should be Celar Ra, not Ra. In order to pronounce it properly. I can't hear the difference. <laughs> Say it again. Celar Rashan is one thing. Celar Ra Shan is another thing. Okay. With an R, then one, two. But perhaps it's pronounced with, as, as it were with two R. Se no, no, I'm probably mispronouncing it. Celar Rashan. Is yes. that right? Yes, yes. Okay, brilliant. Good. Glad we cleared that up. We, we, we will continue <laughs> next episode with this lesson. <laughs> These are exactly the kind of Spanish lessons that you need after having had a Fernet. Um, I also wanted, although we're only doing a few matches each weekend, and, and in a way the 15 matches, as Peter remarked after last week's recording, um, is helping us to, to trim these episodes down because we can't possibly mention all of them. But I just wanted to, to say a quick heads up um, to the one match that I did manage to catch in its entirety on Monday night Newell's versus Vélez Southfield because we'd said before that two years ago that would have been arguably the standout fixture of the entire championship and this year it suddenly seemed rather underwhelming I thought it turned out to be a better match than I was than I sort of the bidding I gave it um, certainly a better match than a nil-nil score I suggested although Vélez seem to have some problems. I, I, I'd have been more encouraged by the performance as if I was a Newell's fan than a Vélez fan, I think. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, Peter's arming and ahhing about this. He seems to no, thoroughly disagree with no, that. No, I think just because of the fact that when you think about both those sides in the, in the very recent hit, uh, past... Oh, I'm not saying that they're a no, shadow of each other. No, 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 no you're not. But 20, I think because of that reason, so. when you watch... The, these two sides now sort of labour to okay to not a terrible nil-nil draw but a, a, not a, a great nil-nil draw either and, and emphasising the nil-nil draw part of that um, you do sort of think oh, well I, I, to be honest it, it, to me it just kind of it put them where they are in the division now which is like a, a step well below the teams who I expect to challenge for the title but above a large number of the the poorer teams in the division. So, so yeah. they're somewhere in the top, sort of. They're not in the bottom 20, is what we're <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think that game for me was like, yeah, that, that was two sides in that area playing each other, basically. Um, Newell's, though, in particular for me, have just looked that little bit smarter than maybe I was hoping they would be after sticking the boot into America Gallego last week. Uh, he actually said after the match he was asked why he didn't send Mauricio Tevez on off the bench and he said if I send the, the fourth attacker on the fantastic four he calls them uh, then I've got to take off a midfielder and every time I've done that I've been caught out and today I thought no I'm not going to be caught out I'm going to if I can't win the game then I'm at least not going to make sure I don't lose it because of course they lost their first match at home to Independiente um, and on the one hand it, it's sad that the Newells who you know, swept to the Copa Libertadores semi-finals just two years ago and all the rest of it 
uh, have been reduced to try not to lose at home, um, particularly against a Vélez side. It has to be said, for all of the, uh, I thought sort of it was an all right match, Vélez themselves didn't actually create very much. Um, but on the other, he's not just gone balls to the wall and, you know, gone all out attacking and, and uh, been caught out as a result. I'm still not entirely sold on it, though. No, not at all. Which is no surprise for a podcast with a long record of railing against the, any manager over the age of about 60 getting a job in the first division. Um, that, that age is a, a rough guide, by the way. It's not hard and fast rule, just to be clear. We're not being ageist to just generationalist, maybe. Um, anything else to add, gentlemen, from the matches that we had? We had oh, Rosario Central managed in the way win against Rosario del Norte, which almost immediately um, puts to an end the uh, myth of Cristiano Ronaldo's long pitch does it not? Yeah. Central apparently they didn't win were, were deliberately training on a pitch with very long grass ahead of the match Cristiano couldn't win neither of the, the, the two matches they, they played there so it was nearly like a sticker and now they lost against uh, yeah I mean this was heading for a nil-nil wasn't it until four minutes from time itsy bitsy Frank on the L <laughs> as we are contractually obliged to refer to him every time he scores he's about four foot six um, he got the winning goal but it was the keeper spilled across and did he, did he start I think, the... I think it was without that goalkeeping error it was just heading for another goalless draw so indeed well, was he in a certain lineup? because he I have this the, this, the sensation of, of uh, Neil that being the player, perfect player for coming from the bench and scoring. He's normally in the starting lineup. And yeah, he was this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. he played. I, I was going to say he played the entire match, but he didn't because it was replaced by Jonathan Ferrari in the 93rd minute, uh, <laughs> presumably to use up time as Cruzeiro were attacking. Um, but he played essentially the entire game. Um, we do have a question about Central. Uh, as well, a little, or about one of Central's players at least. So that's what we'll say about that game for now. And well, a quick they pretty well. I mean, considering this is a team that finished 15th in the transition and really the only highlight that you would say from that was the classical win. So to win three on, the, three on the trot, regardless of the opposition, and in fact the first game was away at Racing, which was probably the worst start and, of the season. Is and not only that, but their manager's first ever three competitive matches yeah, in management, yeah, because yeah. Eduardo Cordette, uh, who was a very um, well-travelled player, he played for River, I think he played for River in the first match I ever attended in Argentina. Would he have been playing for River in 2003? 2003. Sure he was. Mm -hmm. Let me look him up on uh, Wikipedia. But <laughs> he's... Uh, list of clubs. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I'm going to look him up on Wikipedia just so that we can um, read out his, his entire list because it takes in some... As Peter says, <laughs> it's impressive. Clubs that he played for as a player, Platense he started out at, and then he moved to Rosario Central, uh, San Lorenzo, River Plate, Celta Vigo, River Plate, and yes, he was playing in um, in my first match here, 2003-2004, Rosario Central again, San Lorenzo, Rosario Central, San Luis, Necaxa, San Luis, Colón, Philadelphia Union, and Fort Lauderdale Strikers as of 2011, but he actually retired from playing at Central. Uh, in December to take up the manager's job and he started very well in spite of or possibly because of because this is Argentine football after all a really quite awful hairstyle 
Um, that doesn't stop anything. <laughs> no, it's a hairstyle that no 40-year-old man should have. If he was a 15-year-old boy, I might forgive him. Um, but yes, a well-travelled gentleman, and so far at least it would appear a decent manager, because Rosario Central have a 100% record. There are two other sides after three games with a 100% record. Those sides are Boca Juniors and Estudiantes de la Plata. Uh, all of them have got nine points. A bunch of sides have got seven. I'm not going to go all the way through the standings because there's just no point. We've had three matches out of 30. Um, and I think what stands out for, for Central is the fact that with Boca and Estudiantes, we, we, all, we talked about both of those sides in the preview um, episode saying that they had good summers and we'd expect them to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, but uh, the, we didn't mention something. I think the case of mm. the case of Estudiantes is special because they defeat Gimnasia, of course, in the Clásico, and they they defeat last week Belgrano, uh, Belgrano, uh, Barcelona de Guayaquil three 0 Oh yeah, and having mentioned Gustavo Ball's hat trick, actually yes. did it take? Tarish hat trick also. Was, it was while recording, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I saw him score one. Of course. Thank you, Peter. But the following uh, night, Carrillo was later that night, Guido Carrillo then scored a hat-trick. Scored three when we were recording. Yeah. And that was while we were recording. Yes. Bowles' hat-trick was the night before. Sorry, yeah. I'm getting confused. I can't remember one night from another now. There's just football every single night, and I've got to watch yes. all the matches. Later this evening, incidentally, listeners may like to know, uh, that San Lorenzo are playing in the Copa Libertadores against Corinthians Corinthians at home yeah yes. good that's at 10 o'clock so hopefully we're going to finish recording and I'll be able to get home in time for it um, over dinner in the meantime however I'm going to play some music and we're going to go for an incidental break slash glass refill uh, and I might even ask Peter whether he can turn this air conditioning off because I'm going really really <laughs> chilly so don't go anywhere we'll be right back Conversation about something entirely unfootball related, and I've completely forgotten. You ended up in the last part of the of this episode talking about Caudet and and how he played for River Plate. Yes, I've still got his Wikipedia page on here. I haven't yes. gone let's, let's go into questions and see whether anything um, occurs to us. First of all. Post-recording last week... Oh, right. First of all, post-recording last week, uh, Lawrence Hart, who asked a question last week, um, said, thank you for changing his place of birth from the UK to North America, uh, for which I apologise to Lawrence, not because I dislike Americans, but because we got his nationality wrong. Um, and I have no idea how I did that for some reason. I thought he was he was English, but he's actually a Gillingham fan. Same team that my best friend's dad supports. So, there we are. Um... Sorry, Lawrence, and we hope that you'll continue to listen. Darren Paul, on March the 1st, which was Sunday, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, says, in England and Wales, the half-time staple is a pie-slash-burger and a brew, Bovril or Oxo, down the, at the Abbey. What is it in Argentina? It's safe to say that Bovril's not involved. Um, 
What's typical half-time food in an Argentine football stadium, Andres? Well, there are mainly two. It's uh, choripan. I know even how to say chorizo in English. Sausage could be pork sausage, but a, a pork sausage. But it's sandwich. a big, a, a, a fat uh, sausage. It's yes, not it's common. not. It's not chorizo. Most English people, or indeed American people, English-speaking people, when you say chorizo, probably think the Italian style, very finely sliced, and uh, Argentine chorizo is nowhere near as subtle or spiced. Indeed, it's just a uh, big fat pork sausage, basically. Well, this is the sandwich of uh, this sausage and or a single hamburger, but not with. Uh, something no, rare, it's the worst hamburger you've ever had in your life. Forget everything you've heard about Argentine beef. Um, just a processed meat patty. Yes, it's not uh, not the best hamburger you will have ever ate, eaten. But uh, well, it's that single hamburger or, or or the traditional sausage sandwich of sausage, which is choripan in, in Spanish. Yeah, mainly that those those two. In some other cases, you you, you could have empanadas, but it's not the, the traditional. Uh, yeah, inside a stadium, you know, often yeah. soon. Um, the, the drink wise would just be a horrendously watered down Coke, I suppose. Yes, or a coffee if it's been about. Coke, coke with what? With water, because it's yeah. yeah. Uh, Argentines drink a prodigious amount of Coca Cola. Um, as, as, as the, the president mentioned on television last week, to some consternation, um, Sasha asks on the or rather points out on the subject of Argentine players with English ancestry. You remember that question mm. last week, and we were all struggling. Um, this guy appears to have Scottish ancestry, and has sent us a Wikipedia link um, to Carlos McAllister's page. And I completely forgotten about Carlos McAllister when last week's question was asked, and that's slightly um, shaming because I've exchanged emails with his brother on a couple of occasions, uh, so I should really have remembered him. But yeah, he is almost certainly um, of uh, British descent. He played for Boca Juniors in the 70s, I think. No? 80s. 80s? Even more. Oh yeah, you're right, it was a team named Maradona, wasn't he? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, so he is, there is every chance at least, that he is the most recent um, Argentine player with direct British nationality. Um, Andreas asks, hi guys, when are you recording the next episode? Right now, Andreas. Um, Jonathan Gilbert, who we had on last week, says, what did you think of Huracan versus Cruzeiro last night? Well, it was Cruzeiro versus Huracan, in fact. It was in Better Horizonte. Um, it seemed like the stereotypical battle of Brazilian flair and Argentine garra. I would not disagree with that, except that Cruzeiro distinctly lacked any kind of Brazilian flair. Yes. It was rubbish. Um, and Huracan, I thought, played very intelligently were happy enough to come away with a draw if that's what they could get and could very well have nicked it in the last 25 minutes because when they started going forward they threatened quite aside from the fact that Cruzeiro hit the crossbar yes, and when Montenegro got cut into the, into the match it also mm. was was close with some long distance shots the final score was nil nil yes. by the way uh, yes, so the problem is that they, they, they got a draw also last week against Mineros home condition mm. that's the problem not to, not yesterday draw because it's it's decent or or, or good or very good as, as someone said yesterday which I, I don't agree because it was a draw of course of course against Cruzeiro Mineirao where Germany defeats Brazil 7-1 in the World Cup of course but as, as the native Argentine on the podcast Andres just had to get that mention in for no reason whatsoever but Carry on, Andres. Yes, no, that uh, it's good, of course. Uh, and the first 
ever Huracan placed a match there. Uh, but the problem is that they drew against Mineros in the Parque, in Parque de Patricios. So well, it's two matches, two points. Yeah. Um, in itself, it's a very good point for them. But yeah, yes. after two matches, they do have, as Andres says, two points. And they really need to follow it up with a home win against Cruzeiro, arguably, you could say. Um, Lawrence Hart is, is back and asks us, uh, with the Primera being so bloated, which team is considered to be the sleeping giant? And I saw just that and got all excited. I thought, yeah, that's a really easy one. And then uh, he sent another tweet, just to clarify, outside the top flight. I mean, name a big team outside the top flight. It's got to be Instituto, right? Federal. Fe- oh, Federal's a good one. Yeah, they've actually been champions of Argentina. So that's probably more so than it's... Sleeping Giant. I mean, they mean the one that was giant and now isn't. Yeah, they're sort of... A big club. Big club who've not done anything in ages outside the Primera. I think Federal's a very good show. Yeah. Or Belis, perhaps. No, well, no they're inside not the in Primera. the Primera. Ah, okay. Yeah. And they've won titles fairly recently. I don't think you can call Bellis a sleeping giant. When, when you'd be talking like a decade or more without success, really. Um, yeah, we'll go with Federal, who, incidentally, since we mentioned them, um, something historic in Buenos Aires football happened at the weekend, and it was that Federal played a home match with their Popular. It's been closed. Uh, and it was apparently the last all-wooden stand in the city of Buenos Aires. Um, and it's been officially closed down and they're going to be replacing it. A sad day for everybody who likes fire hazards in football stadiums um, because Federos was one of the finest and most beautiful. Argentina, perhaps, we, even though they, they became champions in the 2009? 2010. 2010, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yes, in the 80s, they, they played against Juventus, for example, in 1985. But again, we need sides, for Lawrence's question, we need sides outside the top flight. Uh-huh. So, Federalist, it will do my way. Uh, any other really big sides outside the top flight? No. Platense, they don't count, do they? They're not huge. No. Oh, yeah, okay. Maybe. Alumni? I don't know, play football anymore, <laughs> They've switched to rugby about a hundred years ago, but they're still the fourth yeah. most successful side in the history of the Argentine First Division. So, in a way, in a co yes. <laughs> um, and finally, Tom Robinson asks a very good question. I did mention that there was a question about a Rosario Central player. He says, "Could Franco Servi be the breakthrough star of the 2015 torneo? Who else could make a big impression?" Servi's looked all right. Scored that wonderful lob, of course, for Central very early on, uh, away to Racing on the opening weekend, which allowed them to get a 1-0 win away to the champions. And since then, has, has played at a decent level. But are there any other players who've really impressed us, young players in particular? Unfortunately, shots of um, people sitting around scratching their chins doesn't translate well to good audio. Um, so I shall just try. Well, Albertini is just a confirmation of the one that played in uh, Rafaela and uh, the, the T-shirt of Independiente serves him well. He mm. he suits. So uh, well, I will put Albertini as, as a promise for me to be one of the more, uh, most voted player, most valuable players. 
I'm going to go with the perhaps obvious uh, one of Gonzalo Martinez if he wants to get over his injury from River because I think as I think we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he seems to have brought something to River that they were maybe lacking last season um, so I'm going with him he's young he's clearly very good and he's obviously going to go somewhere in the near future if he doesn't uh, just completely fall off the rails Peter any more nations? For the sake of the, you know, the continuation of the part past, <laughs> otherwise I'll be sitting here in silence. I just think we will have which to probably isn't translated. We have to keep an eye on, on Palacios from Boca, for example, but who is I know it's a youth player right now, but he was about to go towards Arsenal, I think, again as a loan. Mm. But as as Pavon, uh, I we have to remember. Boca River uh, match in the summer where uh, Vangioni uh, injured Pavon and that's why Palacios didn't go to didn't leave Boca and now he's one of the key players in the Arena staff so keep an eye on, on him and uh, keeping things in the Boca Juniors um way that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Remaining in the Boca Juniors lane of this uh, podcasting highway. I'm very <laughs> happy with that one. Uh, Andres Cubas, I think as well. I, I was going to make the point last week uh, before he got injured that I think Cubas and, and Cesar Meli, between them, kind of add a lot to the Boca Juniors midfield that, frankly, I think you could drop Fernando Gago from it and, and they wouldn't be missing too much. Having said that, since I started thinking this, Gago has been playing very well so far this year. Um, so that, that's not to, to do him down so far. But the Fernando Gago of last year, I think, would have been um, would have been struggling to get in the team if Meli and Kubas had been playing to the level they have so far this year. Kubas particularly, because Meli actually did play very well for most of the second half of the last championship. So I'm going to go Andres Kubas as well. Just yes. for those who uh, like to accuse us of being anti-Bocca on this podcast, which we are at times, but... No, and, and Galeri as well. I mean, as 21-year-old centre-forward, I think. Let's not go crazy, Peter. No, I, I mean... I know you're happy to have an idea of a player at that. Well, no, just for, if, we talk, if we are talking about Bocca, we have about... quite a decent amount of very good young players. You know, yeah. just, you know, it feels but a bit dirty sitting here praising Bocca to this extent. But talking about midfield, I think he... He's the perfect combination. He will combine perfectly with Pablo Perez, for example. Cubas is the one who uh, recovers the ball, and Pablo Perez, the one who plays more uh, attacking offensively. So yeah. uh, for me, he, he will be even even I know if Gago also is perhaps symbol of, the, of this this team because last last year it was. Uh, the first part of, of the year, especially, was awful. Uh, not only Boca, he, not only himself, Boca also. In this case, he's playing good because the team also is playing good. But I think that Cubas and Perez, for because of the of the, the way they play, I think could be could, could play together perfectly. Yeah, and also another name that we mentioned already this uh, on on this episode, uh, Lucas de la yes. um could. Like Serbi, in fact, the, the player who Tom mentions uh, made his debut in the in the last championship. Um, but, but this could be the one in which he really kind of solidifies his fast-growing reputation. 
it could also, and this isn't really a breakthrough at all, but if he stays free of injury for the year, then Matthias Kranovita could um, prove the quality that is already abundantly obviously has. He's already been playing for over three years. No, no, no. Oh, maybe, yeah. Could be. How, how, how old is Dinenola? Because he used to play for Racing, somebody else, didn't he? Yes, he was. Yes. He may be 22, 23. Uh, clicking you can hear listeners is the uh, sound of Peter's keyboard. He's 20. Oh, 20. He yeah, made, made his debut a year and a half ago for Racing. Um, so, yes, I would wholeheartedly back up Andres's suggestion there. Uh, the next piece of music that you hear, dear listeners. Sorry, Peter, go on. No, someone else I'd quite like to see more of. And I. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think I'm pretty sure he's still there, although maybe on loan, is um, Ezekiel Ponce at Newell's. Yep. Because he came into the side very, very young, scored some goals, then missed almost the entire transition through injury. I think is signed for Roma, no? But signed for Roma and then was sent back to Newell's for this tournament. Mm. Yes. For the whole of 2015, so I'd quite like to see... He's already got his move, but I'd quite like to see him actually play some more games because he hasn't actually played that many games for Neil's first team. I was not aware that he'd been signed by anybody. But uh, I agree with your assessment, and yes, he is still in your squad. Ponce um, and the one who mentioned uh, before, Sam Tevez also. Mm. Oh, Mauricio Tevez, yes, of course, absolutely. Uh, the next music now that you hear is Mystic Sound's theme music, and Mystic Sound will be appearing in the room. Uh, just after you hear it in order to tell you what to bet your money on this coming weekend in the Primera so don't go anywhere Last week Mystic Sam got 5 out of 15 which at least was enough to uh, achieve my stated aim of... Sorry, there's a mosquito here and I was trying to get it loaded. At least it was enough to uh, achieve my stated aim of trying to better the previous week's three. Uh, so let's see whether we can go one or two better again this week. Fifteen games, and this is how they're going to go. Huracan versus Gimnasia La Plata is going to end in a draw. A word of sympathy, by the way, for Huracan, who by the end of next week... I think it's the end of next week, they have to play San Lorenzo. And they're going to be the only Argentine side involved in the Copa Libertadores who played Libertadores League game. Libertadores League, Libertadores League, without any midweek break at all. Um, after, well, it'll be five rounds of matches, which I think is quite ridiculous, because they're playing Friday again this week, and then again next Tuesday in the Libertadores, having already played the last two Tuesdays. Um, it's funny how that happens to the uh, smallest the clubs involved, isn't it? There we go. Um, sorry, anyway, I can is a draw. Atletico de Rafaela versus Racing, I think is going to be a Racing victory. Newell's Old Boys versus Crucero del Norte is going to be a Newell's Old Boys win. Aldo Sibi versus Quilmes, draw. Independiente versus Belgrano, I think will be an Independiente victory, their first at home this year. Nueva Chicago versus Godoy Cruz, can't really pick a winner. I think it'll be a draw, but I think a better bet is more than two and a half goals. 
on Impo versus Rosario Central. I think it'll be a Rosario Central victory. Venice Southfield versus Sarmiento. Venice Southfield win. River versus Union de Santa Fe. Home win. Lanús versus Arsenal de Sarandí. I think it will be a Lanús win. San Martín de San Juan versus Argentinos Juniors. I'm going to go for a draw in that one. Defensive Justicia versus Banfield. I'm running out of breath. Estudiantes de la Plata versus San Lorenzo, arguably the tastiest matchup of the weekend, I think, as a neutral. Um, but I think it's going to end all square. Estudiantes play tomorrow night in the Copa Libertadores. They're kicking off at half past ten Argentine time. They're away in Colombia. Um, and San Lorenzo, as I've already mentioned, are playing in about 45 minutes in the Libertadores at home. Um, so both of those sides might be somewhat tired. Having just said it was going to be the tastiest of the, game, of the weekend, I'm now arguing against myself, but there we go. And Tempele versus Tigre, I think he's going to be a low-scoring draw. Any thoughts on the coming weekend and the tastiest fixtures, gentlemen? I I, I would put uh, in an away win for Godet Cruz against Chicago just because I think Fernandez, Jan Fernandez, uh, the striker of Godet Cruz, is doing well, but... Uh, 1-0, but... I'm impressed that you can remember what I predicted in Chicago against the Loi Cruz address, because I can't. The draw. Excellent. Well done. Clearly you fixed that one into your head when I first read it out, because that was about 10 minutes ago, it feels like. Um, Peter, how do you feel about Independiente this weekend? Mm. Who knows? Who know? You don't really... You never know, do you? I mean, let's be honest. You... It all depends on what side of the bed the defenders get out of in the morning. Yeah, I mean, that's very, very open for that reason, without wanting to sit on the fence, but do, doing so. You wouldn't be surprised next week to be sitting here talking about a thumping uh, victory or a humiliating home thrashing. So no. <laughs> they're always, interesting, always fairness, interesting to watch. With the attacking potential of Independiente, I would be quite surprised if we were talking about a thrashing, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we were talking about a 5-4 defeat. Andres, River against Union, optimistic, pessimistic? Yeah, we have to see how players uh, are uh, after tomorrow match and, and, they, and they, how they, they react to the pitch because it will be awful after the, the two concerts of, of the oh, weekend. God, Romeo Santos is yes. weekend. <laughs> uh, so, well, uh, after, after all, I, I think. I, uh, I saw, sorry to interrupt, I, I saw somebody put on Twitter a couple of days ago, clearly a River fan because I don't follow music people, I just follow football people, um, saying, if any River fans know anyone who's going to the Romeo Santos concert, whatever it is, uh, tell them not to jump up and down because we need the pitch in good condition. It wasn't just one concert, I think he uh, sold it out twice. So they play a match on Thursday night, Thursday evening, sorry, and then what, the gigs are on Friday and Saturday, and then they play another Saturday, game on Sunday. Yeah, something like that. I don't know, it's definitely more than one night. Bloody ridiculous. Um, but the, uh, more importantly, Andres, how do you think River are going to do on Thursday evening at home to Tigres UANN? Very difficult. They, they have a, a better team that I 
we think they have uh, their own uh, score well, last last week. No, do they? Because Keita, of course, is the expert on Mexican football. Oh, yeah, professed to be an expert, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the blogger on Mexican. No, I mean no. They, they, they are. I don't know. I mean, they're they're a strange team. Do you realize it? They got managed to get to the to the final of the last of the uh, Apertura mm-hmm. last time out without actually winning any matches in the in the knockout stages. They just kept drawing all of their ties and then through ranking getting to the final. Sorry to interrupt, Peter, but I just want to inform our listeners that I got the mosquito. Carry on, Peter. Um, yes, uh, I'm, as I said before, I'm not convinced by any of the Mexican sides in the Libertadores. And, I, and Atlas are proving my point at present. By um, losing to a Colo Colo side, who has to be sort of pretty bloody awful in that last Libertadores match. Not that we're used to commenting on Chilean football, but they were pants. Um, so, I, and saying that, they, I know um, Tigres won, was it 3 0 in their first group game last week? I have a feeling it was. But they don't, they don't actually tend to score that many goals. They defeated 3 0 Juan Aurich in Mexico. Mm. And they generally are not a team that score that many goals, and um, I would have thought away the long journey here to Buenos Aires River. Would I think be River, River and Tigres will, will, will go to the round of 16 stage because San Jose Rura and Panaurich are, are the weakest. But uh, I think Tigres has a decent team with, with Guido Pizarro, with uh, Nahuel Guzman, the uh, former news goalkeeper and actual uh, national team goalkeeper. And um, Damian Alvarez, former real black player, but now he's... Yeah, and I think they do have a good, like, Guzman's a very good goalkeeper and they're better defensively. I mean, that's how they got to the to the final last season, was by basically not conceding many goals. Um, and the start of this season in Mexico has been the same, they haven't really conceded many. And I, I put my bet on for Sunday match against Union to be or Juicy or Simeone or... Tomás Martínez in the certain lineup, one of, of, the, of them. Because on Thursday, River are going full strength. and I mean, they need to win it, of course, after that opening 2-0 loss in uh, the two-mile-high altitude of Oruro in Bolivia to San Jose. I would be very surprised if River, River's A team didn't beat Divinez and River's B team didn't beat Unión. That's an enormous amount of confidence in a side you don't support, Peter. And on that note... Yeah, because for independent time, I've never had that kind of confidence, so I'd be worried about... Well, precisely. On that note, we're going to get going now, partly because I've got to get home. I can't, uh, much as I would like to, go to the pub with Peter to watch the San Lorenzo game. I've got to watch it at home. Um, and it kicks off in just... Well, yeah, this being the Libertadores, it's supposed to kick off in 39 minutes, but it'll probably kick off in about 45. Um, but I do want to get home for it. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much again for listening to us. Thank you very much, as usual, to the Argentina Independent for providing alcohol for us. Um, They are a very, very good source of English language news and entertainment and some cultural bits and pieces as well uh, from Argentina and from across Latin America. We raise a glass to them as we quickly down it so we can get out of the room. Um, once again, thank you, Argentina Independent. You can read them free of charge on argentinaindependent.com. And for now, it is goodbye from Andres. Goodbye. Goodbye, and thank you very much for lending our living room, uh, your living room, to us, Peter. A pleasure, and goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>